became a Christian um, several years ago. It was like in the late 1980s. And back then, you know, and, and maybe it was the, the, the kind of culture of the Christians I happened to grow up around, but there's a lot of excitement and urgency about the second coming of Christ. I mean, prophecy conferences were all the rage, and, and people was always asking, you know, maybe, maybe today, maybe one day. And so being a new Christian, uh, you, you just kind of absorb the beliefs and values of the kind of people that you kind of are, are pouring into you and uh, discipling you, and I was no different. And so I was always thinking about that Jesus could come back at any moment, that, that this was it, you know, this could be the day. And um, I remember one time I was sitting in a dentist chair, and uh, the, the dentist had told me, he says, look, your, um, your wisdom teeth, they're coming in, and, and they were going to be the real uh, intractable, real... Um, tough type that kind of gnarl around the other roots. You know, you know the type. You've, you've seen those. And so I asked the doctor, I said, well, how long do I have before I absolutely have to deal with these things? And so he looked at me and says, well, at the most you've got 10 years, but I recommend you deal with it a lot sooner than that. And there I was. I said, <laughs> 10 years? I said, that's exactly what I said. 10 years, doc? Oh, don't worry about it because Jesus is going to come back way before that. <laughs> So guess what? Ten years come and gone, right? And there I am sitting in a dentist chair again with a dentist taking a hammer to my jaw because he had to break the teeth into those quarter chunks so you could pull them out with the pliers, right? And I remember that vividly. I can still feel the jerking on my mouth with the pliers to pull those things out. Now, some people might hear that story and go, See, this, this is why you don't take that Jesus stuff so seriously. You end up getting a hammer to your mouth for trusting in it, right? But actually, the way I t interpret that, because this is what happened was, this is the exact reason you actually have to take that Jesus stuff really seriously, because how we interpret the Bible, how we read the Bible affects the way we live our lives, doesn't it? It is really important that we understand what the Bible teaches and make sure our lives conform to it. After all, Jesus clearly expected that those who would follow him wouldn't just hear what he had to say, but would actually build their lives on his words. In fact, Jesus says, it is the height of foolishness to listen to him and not build your life on the what he is saying. Right, so you remember Matthew chapter 7, verses, I think it's 24 to 27. He says, look, there was a man who heard my words a man who hears my words and builds his life on it is like a man who builds his life, his house on the rock. And when the storms come, that life, that house still stands. But the man who hears my words and does not build his life upon it is like the man or the woman who hears my words and doesn't build their life upon it. They build it like on the sand. And when the storm comes, great is that fall. And the thing that we need to realize there, in the story that Jesus is telling, both individuals, men and women, are identical. They both hear Jesus' teaching, they both build homes, they both face the same storms, but the difference between standing strong and collapsing is that one listened and actually built their life on what they heard. The other just listened and just went on their way. So, after, getting, uh, getting back to my story, after the Novocaine wore off, I picked up my Bible and started to read again, how are we to live our lives in light of Jesus? How are we to live our lives in light of the fact that we live at the end of all things? 
And so there was one particular passage I went to. It's a passage I want to read to you this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you need to use one of our pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 955. 1 Peter chapter 4, or page 955 in one of our pew Bibles. I want to read to you a passage that I heard spoken of a lot. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Peter writes this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To borrow a cultural expression, it is as if Peter is saying when he says, the end of all things is at hand, the sky is falling. You've heard that expression, yeah? Chicken little. The sky's falling. It's all coming to an end. And listen to the most counterintuitive thing Peter says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The sky's falling. Serve one another. I mean, he says other things, right? Show hospitality. Be self-controlled and clear thinking so you can pray well. Love each other. I love the countercultural impulse that the Bible always gives. If you've been alive long enough, you remember Y2K. What was the impulse then when we thought it's all coming to an end? We go buy bunkers, people stock up on food, they buy guns, even some Christians. I, I know people who actually have plans of where they would meet their friends if they needed to, if things all went sideways. Because as Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. But he doesn't say go out and buy a bunker, circle the wagons, and get worried. He says, serve. He says other things there, but he says serve with the full weight of God's purposes upon you. Now this morning, we're calling it Service Sunday. We're doing something at least new since I've been here. And that's just making opportunities for people to serve. And our, our service this morning will be a little bit shorter so that you have time to kind of hang out in the palm court and look at all the opportunities we have available. Now, before I tell you why we're doing this, let me give you three reasons why we're not doing this. We're not having service Sunday because the church is in crisis mode and we're just looking for warm bodies to fill slots, right? Although, as you'll see and you saw last week, there are some areas where we really need people to, to jump in. We're also not doing this because we think you all have like all this extra time and need something to fill it with and so we're going to throw you a bone and give you things to do, okay? We, we, we recognize how busy people are. We recognize what a, a, a hectic, frenzied pace our lives are. I also recognize as we, we study God's Word, however, that sometimes our priorities get off kilter and we fill our lives up with things that maybe need to be reevaluated in the light of God's truth, right? Now, thirdly, we're also not doing this because we think the only way that you can serve God is by being involved in the ministries of this church. Clearly not naive to think that this is where God's action is right here and here alone, right? There's tons of ways to serve the Lord. 
and they transcend us, but certainly they would at least include us. So we're providing you opportunities. If you're not sure how you can serve, well, here's an easy place to start. Okay, those are the reasons we're not doing it. Let me give you one reason why we are doing Service Sunday, and, and there obviously could be many. Let me give you probably the most important one, and that is this. You are never more like Jesus Christ than when you serve others at great cost to yourself. Let me say that again. You are never more like Jesus Christ than when you serve others at great cost to yourself. To put it in Mark's words, uh, I think it's in here, in Mark's gospel chapter 10 verse 45, let's see if we got it there, there it is, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And friends, really, isn't this how we should make all the decisions of our lives? It should be around the question, how should we then live in light of the fact that Jesus has come? How should all of reality be perceived, the decisions we make, how I choose to use my time, my resources, my life, how should I use it in light of the fact Jesus has come? which is, by the way, the actual interpretation of 1 Peter 4. It is not, when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, it is not the sky is falling, the end of the world is here. Actually, what he's saying is, this is the final act. There is no more in God's redemptive plan before he brings it to its final fruition and culmination. This, Jesus Christ coming to do his sacrificial work on the cross, Jesus Christ inaugurating the new age that he brought about. Remember the very first words Jesus spoke in Mark's gospel? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Peter is saying, we are at the end of all things. There's nothing more God's plan to redeem this broken, fallen world. This is the stage we are in. And after this, God's wrapping it all up. We are living at the end of all things. Get in on that action what Peter is saying, and in light of this, he offers four really practical ways to live your life this morning. We're only going to look at one because it is Service Sunday, and that's the last suggestion that Peter makes, the, the one he emphasizes the most, found in verses 10 and 11, just those two short verses. And we're going to look at them briefly, and in those two short verses, Peter tells us why we can serve, how we can serve, the ways we can serve, and finally, the goal of our service. Why we can serve, how we can serve, the ways we can serve, and the goal of our service. So let's look at them. Let's go to the text. Look at the very first one, verse 10a of 1 Peter 4. Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Okay, this one, first one's very easy, isn't it? We know that every Christian can serve because the Bible, we just saw it there in black and white, says that every Christian has been given a gift for that purpose. So if you are a Christian and you are here this morning, you have been given a gift by God to use it for that purpose. Now, I want you to put your finger in First Peter. Go to Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans chapter 12. It's a little to the left. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 891. Romans chapter 12, and let's look at verses 6 through 8. This is what Paul 
switching over to the Apostle Paul, writing to the Roman Christians, he says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Friends, go back to First Peter. Friends, what this means is if you are a Christian, there need be none of you who does not feel that they have a place in the body of believers. There need be none of you who does not feel you have something to contribute tribute to what God is doing in his kingdom, in the church at large, and in this church in particular. Now, you, you might be sitting there saying, well, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what my gift is. Few of us do at first, right? Few of us do at first. And let me just say this, the best way, if you're sitting there saying, okay, you just read God's word saying, you've been given a gift, and you're saying, well, I have no idea what that is. Let me suggest to you the best way to discover your gift is simply by serving wherever you find a need. That's why in our booklet that we handed out last week, it just simply says, find a need, fill a need. Gifts are discovered in the context of service, friends. Gifts are discovered in the context of service. Now, now some of you know my story. I never, ever intended to be a pastor. I had every intention to be a rock star, right? That, that was the trajectory of my life. But when I got saved, when I got saved, there was just radical desire. I saw needs everywhere. One thing in predominant, I didn't, I didn't know any Christians. I didn't come from a Christian household. I didn't even know of a church we could go to. So we started a church. It just, just that was the need. We need a place where we can gather, where other Christians can start hearing the word of God. Let's start a church. It was so, we're so naive. We didn't know anything, and that was a good thing. So we said, okay, let's, what's the next need? We fill the next need, and that need led to the next need to fill that need, and that need led to the next need to fill that need. Until finally, a church asked me to fill a full-time need as their pastor 20 years ago, and now here I am today, a pastor for nearly 20 years. And it just started because... Hey, there's a need. We got to fill the need. Now, I started with a grandiose need, like starting a church, but it, it started before that was just, hey, can we uh, start reading the Bible? Who's going who's gonna to read the Bible this week? I'll read the Bible. Who's going to read it next week? I'll do it next week, or you do it next week. Who's going to push the broom? Who's going to clean the bathroom? Who, who's going to do what we need to do? Let's just get it done. And friends, your gifts are going to get discovered in the process of serving. So we can serve each other because we've been given a gift to do so. Peter says it right there. And then he tells us how to serve. Look at the second half of verse 10. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Here's the comparative phrase here. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Now you say, well, what, what is a, what's a steward? Right? A steward simply is a manager. A steward is a manager, a manager who handles the affairs on behalf of someone else. The issue is not if you have a gift to use. The issue, the question is, how will you manage the gift that you have been given? Right, that, that's the issue. Not if you have a gift. You have a gift. The Bible says so. The real question is, how will you steward that gift as a good steward or not? After Peter says we all have this gift, notice how he refers to it as God's varied grace. You see that phrase right there? Guys, think about that. The, the gift you have been given, 
It will uniquely display one of the 10,000 ways God's grace is made known to us. Some of you are going to be, you're just encouragers. So you encourage people. That's what you do. Some of you are, you've got the gift of help. So you just like to get in there and, and whatever it takes, swing a hammer, get water for people, whatever it is, you just want to help. Some of you are, are just love to give financially. And that's a gift and you just go for it. And I encourage that, right? Some of you show mercy. Some of you can teach the word. Some of you disciple people. Some of you just listen. But every single one of us has a gift that beautifully displays the 10,000 facets of the diamond of God's glory. And we need to be good stewards of that. How will you manage? How are you managing the gift that God has given to you? Do you recognize it is not just for you? You recognize what you have. You may think of it as a natural talent. It might be that. Uh, But do you realize that it's not yours for you to use alone for your own benefit? But it was given to you to be a good steward, to bless the body of Christ. Thirdly, Peter talks about the ways we can serve. Look at 11a. It says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Oracles in ancient times were basically areas that that were the mouthpiece of the divine, so, you know, a mouthpiece for God. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, notice these two phrases, whoever speaks, whoever serves. Those are some very broad categories, aren't they? In one sense, Peter is just encapsulating all the ways we could serve, whether it's in word or deed. They, they capture all of that, right? However you speak or if you serve. Now, notice, friends, the weight of the privilege which our service places upon us. If you serve in word, Peter is saying, speak as if you're the very mouthpiece of God himself. Now, this has more to do with accuracy than authority, okay? I mean, it does include that, but what Peter's driving at is when you speak, you're not there blathering on your opinion. You give the word of God. You are an oracle. They all would have known what that was, the oracle of Delphi, whatever. They would have known uh, that the, the oracle just spoke to you the words of the gods. And Peter says, if that's the gift you have to teach, make sure you're actually speaking God's word, right? That, that's really important. Now, if, if, if you're looking for a church, let me just give you a hot tip. This is very important because we live in a day and an age where there's a lot of charismatic Bible teachers out there. There's a lot of guys with personality. There's a lot of guys that are engaging. There's a lot of guys that are funny, and they're great orators. They're great at rhetoric, But don't confuse that with speaking and teaching God's Word. I think it's very easy to get distracted by the charisma and personality of the presentation, and you think you're hearing good biblical teaching, when at the most what you might be hearing is kind of biblical-themed topics that the Bibles use as a springboard to talk about whatever else. And that happens a lot. Make sure what you're hearing at a church is the Word of God, whether it comes from the main pulpit or it's in the nursery. Make sure God's Word is what's being treated with reverence and we're unpacking it and you're opening and say, do you see in the text what the Word is saying, not what you want it to say? Do you see it actually speaking there, right? And he says, whoever serves indeed, do it with God's strength 
as He supplies. That is to say, as God directs and provides. As God desires you to use these gifts. And He's going to supply you the strength as He supplies. Friends, do not think of service as uh, holiness means you're just burnt out all the time and you're lamenting about, because is, that is a true thing in our culture, right? The, the, the idol of busyness and productivity when someone says, man, I'm just really busy. Um, what do we typically follow that up with? What do people typically say? Oh, man, I get you. I'm busy too. And then we start comparing who's more busy, right? Like, oh, I got this, I got this, I got that. And we one-up each other rather than saying, brother, we weren't meant to live like that. Is there Sabbath in your life? What, what are you doing? Or I think the point Peter's saying is that service, some of you are maxed out, and you know what? You're joyful about it. You're loving it. You're thriving because you're not serving out of your own strength. You're serving it because you see as God supplies you the strength, the role that you're playing, and you're excited about the impact that that's having, and you serve by His strength. Remember when we studied Galatians, one of the key thoughts that came out of the book of Galatians was this, the life of Christ is impossible without the life of Christ. That's just the reality. If you are trying to live the life of Christ without the life of Christ, you cannot do it. And Galatians, Paul made it clear, the life of Christ is impossible without the life of Christ inside of you. One way you start tapping into, then how do I live that life of Christ? One way is that you have the right goal in mind for your life, and that's what Peter ends our passage with. Look at the second half of verse 11. In order that in everything, whether it's teaching or whether it's serving in all these ways, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever so that in everything, including our lives, God is the one that's glorified. Friends, if you are a Christian, your joy, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, the Bible teaches, is intractably bound up to the glory of God. And I know you may not feel that. That's part of the Christian life, is making ourselves be bound up to God's glory that, so that when He's glorified, your joy increases and your satisfaction increases. And when God is dishonored, your joy diminishes and your heart is grieving. That's how you want to shape your prayers. That's how you want to live your life. Is my joy, is my satisfaction, is my fulfillment bound up in God being glorified? When it is, you are experiencing the life of Christ because that's how Christ lived. But here's the good news, right? Here's the great reality. God will be glorified. So if your joy, your fulfillment, and your satisfaction is bound to Him, you are guaranteed to have joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. If you want His glory to be your glory, that when He's glorified, you are satisfied, and that's what you want. And that it becomes the lens by which you see all of life, and that's what gives you your joy and how you use your life now. I have to wrap this up. I told you we're going to end early because we want to give you time. This is not more time to eat donuts, okay? This is time to go out there and see, man, how are there ways I can steward my life, the varied grace of God given to me for the benefit of others, and unless you've got things you're doing out there, like really going for it, man, there are great things to do here, so that's why we're giving the time. But let me, let me just close with how I keep thinking about these truths so that I don't get 
distracted from what matters most by the things that matter least, which is pretty much most things in this life. So um, here, let me just illustrate this. Follow me with for a second. So imagine, I'm a visual guy. So imagine this wall right here, okay? Imagine this wall on this side of the sanctuary is some point, uh, imagine like we're at a, co- a coffee shop, a couple of us hanging out. At some point in the future, uh, maybe new, new, New York or final Rome or eternal Tokyo, whatever, some, some city in the new creation that the Bible tells us is gonna happen, right? Revelation 21, 22. The new creation, that's that wall there. And so we're at some coffee shop, you and a couple of us, maybe Obadiah's hanging out, maybe John Cal or some saint from church history or someone you love. We're all having coffee. Now imagine, hey Rick, this wall here, right here, is current time. So April 7th, 2019, 9.54 p.m. Okay, that's right where we're at right now. Now imagine every foot between here and there is about a thousand years. Okay, so that's probably about 60 feet. Okay, that's about so, yeah, 60,000 years. Now, I know we don't think this way, but if you believe the Bible, actually, even if you don't believe the Bible, well, we're not going to get into the philosophy of it, but the Bible says eternity goes on, right? So here we are, that's us at a coffee shop, that's me and Rick and, and Nikki, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I, did, I just met them, so we're all hanging out having coffee with Obadiah and John Calvin. Here we are now. Let me give you a spatial illustration, right? Like a physical illustration of the remaining years of my physical life. Okay, here we go. Here it is. Done. (laughs) That was the rest of my life right here. From from right here, April 7th, 2019 to when I'm going to die, that's it. The Bible says that everything I just did in that movement is going to impact and determine every other inch from here to that wall there. And even this is a horrible illustration because the proportions of eternity to this room are just, you know, you can't do that. The question is, am I going to use my gifts, my talents, my time, my resources there in that spot, that little inch of the carpet, and get the payoff there, or am I going to steward it and use it for what God's purpose is, God's glory, God's people, and get the payoff every other inch of this way? Friends, you don't have to be a financial investment genius to know where the smart money is there. But this is what I mean, that we get distracted by the things that matter most, by the things that matter least. Now you might think, well, I'm not that godly. Neither am I. I'm greedy. I want eternal rewards. I want, when I come to that, that, that gate, him to say, good and well done. By the way, godly greediness is not a sin. Jesus often appeals to our desire for glory and treasures and joy to live for the right thing. It's possible to be a Christian hedonist, right? Actually, only if you are a Christian can you truly be a hedonist because you truly understand what true joy and pleasure and satisfaction is and you know the true source of it. And so Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. This is the final act. Get in on that action because the curtain is going to close and the time will have passed to make your difference. The end of all things is at hand. Serve. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for just, even though we just spend 20 minutes in the word, it has radical implications for the way we live. 
Would you help us? Give us eyes for eternity. Give us eyes that see reality. Give us the will to make investments that matter. Lord, our time here is so short, and our time there never ends. Help us to see that, to live for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, as those, those opportunities out there are, are just plentiful and abundant, that we would jump in somehow, that you would stoke within our hearts a godly, a greediness for godliness that will make a difference for all creation, time, and redemption. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.